from in and around the Capital Region on the Alive Radio Network. This is The Matter at Hand. I'm Alicia Purdy. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. On July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed, unequivocally rejecting the rulership of a tyrannical king, giving birth to a new nation, the United States of America, and establishing a new form of government, the Democratic Republic. This form of government was uniquely distinct from all other forms of government the world had ever seen because the founding fathers of the United States of America instituted within its governmental construction a series of checks and balances to hold accountable those in its leadership. They firmly declared the equality and dignity and representation of all human beings and they departed not only from the rulership of the king, but they outright rejected the form of government known as a democracy choosing instead to form a democratic republic, a government that utilized elected leaders who were chosen by the very people they would represent. The framers of the U.S. Constitution and the writers of the Declaration of Independence during the earliest days of the new country soundly rejected the idea of a government based on pure democracy and denounced it as the worst form of government because of the facilitation of mob rule within a country where the loudest majority or the most organized or the most well-funded, or the most violent, would make the decisions for the rest of the people. In a democratic republic, however, the decisions that would affect the lives of the new Americans would be made by elected representatives chosen by the people themselves, rather than being left vulnerable to the devastations of a majority vote. Furthermore, the founders of the United States of America created a process by which the elected leaders then would create and vote on laws to govern the people. A democracy, according to the country's founding fathers, would lead to a form of government based on the rules of man, whereby people would rule over each other in mob-style forms of government and create laws to further their own agendas. Whereas a democratic republic would uphold the rule of law, and no one person nor group of people would supersede the rule of law and a constitution was set into place to protect the rights of all people from the will of the majority. The concept of democracy can be traced back to around 500 BC in Athens, Greece, 
Athenian democracy was a true direct democracy or mobocracy under which the public voted on every law with the majority having almost total control over the rights and freedoms of the people. As a republic's most unique feature, a constitution enables it to protect the minority from the majority by interpreting and, if necessary, overturning laws made by elected representatives of the people. In the United States, the Constitution assigns this function to the U.S. Supreme Court and the lower federal courts. However, the unique system of government created and instituted by the founding fathers of the United States of America, the framing of the Constitution, and the battle for independence from the tyrannical King George almost didn't happen. The story that we usually hear about the American Revolution is about the revolution as a unifying event. It was both unifying and divisive. Thomas Slaughter is a professor of history at the University of Rochester and author of the book, The Tangled Roots of the American Revolution. It both brought Americans together and divided them through violence and different visions of the way the world should work. During the revolution itself, for example, never more than 40 to 45 percent of Americans supported the war. At least a third of Americans were fighting on the other side. In fact, it was on July 1st, 1776, that a fateful speech by John Adams took place and turned the tide of history. On July 1st, independence hung in the balance. There was a great case to be made not to secede from Great Britain. Bradley Thompson is a professor of political science at Clemson University, where he teaches political philosophy. The colonists had no army, no navy, and almost no money. At a key moment in the congressional debate, when the forces against independence appeared to have the upper hand, Adams rose to his feet. Without notes and without any preparation, he made the case for independence. By the time he sat down, the case had been won. If Washington was the sword of the American Revolution and Jefferson the pen, then Adams was its engine. While the exact words of Adams's rousting speech were lost to history, Daniel Webster later noted Adams's speech from his memory, and text was later compiled from letters in Adams's own autobiography in an attempt to recapture and compile the speech that changed the world. Objects of the most stupendous magnitude, measures which will affect the lives of millions born and unborn, are now before us. We must expect a great expense of blood to obtain them. But we must always remember that a free constitution of civil government cannot be purchased at too dear a rate, as there is nothing on this side of Jerusalem of greater importance to mankind. My worthy colleague from Pennsylvania has spoken with great ingenuity and eloquence. He has given you a grim prognostication of our national future. But where he foresees apocalypse, I see hope. I see a new nation ready to take its place in the world. Not an empire, but a republic. And a republic of laws, not men. Gentlemen, we are in the very midst of revolution. The most complete unexpected and remarkable of any in the history of the world. How few of the human race have ever had an opportunity of choosing a system of government for themselves and their children. I am not without apprehensions, gentlemen. 
But the end we have in sight is more than worth all the means. I believe, sirs, that the hour has come. My judgment approves this measure, and my whole heart is in it. All that I have, all that I am, and all that I hope in this life, I am now ready to stake upon it. While I live, let me have a country, a free country. John Adams is credited with the tradition of celebrating the birth of the United States with fireworks. In a letter to his wife, Abigail Adams, on July 3, 1776, Adams wrote that the occasion of the nation's birth should be commemorated with, quote, pomp and circumstance, parades, shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this great continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. The first commemorative Independence Day fireworks were set off on July 4, 1777. The Pennsylvania Evening Post wrote that in Philadelphia, celebrations were conducted with the greatest order and decorum, and the face of joy and gladness was universal. That same year, fireworks also lit up the sky in Boston, and by 1783, a large variety of fireworks were available to the public. And from there, cities all across the United States began the tradition of celebrating the birth of the nation with a fireworks display. As the story of the birth of the United States of America is recounted, history traditionally focuses on the God-ordained roles of the Founding Fathers, the men who stood up and pledged their fortunes, their lives, and their sacred honors to the cause of freedom. However, they did not stand unsupported, but were backed by the firm commitment of many others, like black freedmen and women, who worked quietly in the background and without recognition for the cause of liberty. Abigail Adams, the wife of John Adams, who was a Massachusetts congressional delegate at the time, heavily influenced the political atmosphere of early America, as she famously and frequently, and with great flourish, corresponded with her husband while he was in Philadelphia often reminding him that in the new form of government that was being established, he should, quote, remember the ladies. Or, she wrote in her letters, the women, too, would form a revolution of their own. Mercy Otis Warren, a political writer and playwright, was a fierce devotee to the Patriot cause, writing in December 1774, four months before the war broke out at Lexington and Concord, that, quote, America stands armed with resolution and virtue. She was a vehement supporter of the cause for freedom. In 1805, she published The History of the Rise, Progress, and Termination of the American Revolution. Women often followed their husband into the Continental Army. These women, known as camp followers, tended to the domestic side of army organization, washing, cooking, mending clothes, and providing medical help when necessary. Some days, they were flung into the vortex of battle. Such was the case of Mary Ludwig Hayes, better known as Molly Pitcher, who earned the fame at the Battle of Monmouth in 1778. Hayes first brought soldiers water from a local well to quench their thirst on an extremely hot and humid day and then replaced her wounded husband at his artillery piece, firing at the oncoming British. In a similar vein, Margaret Corbin was severely wounded during the British assault on Fort Washington in November 1776 and left for dead alongside her husband, also an artilleryman, until she was attended to by a physician. She lived, though her wounds left her permanently disabled. History recalls her as the first American female to receive a soldier's lifetime pension after the war. 
From 1789 to 1797, Adams was America's first vice president under General George Washington. He then served a term as the nation's second president. He was defeated for another term by Thomas Jefferson, who later said of the speech Adams gave that fateful day in Philadelphia that Adams' speech was so powerful in thought and expression that it moved the delegates out of their seats. According to Professor Bradley Thompson of Clemson University, John Adams lived his life under the same stringent rigors to which he held others around him. Born in 1735 near Boston, Adams relentlessly pushed himself to rise early, work hard, and live a moral life. He strove in the language of the day for a life of virtue over vice. He fought unceasingly against British tyranny and for American liberty, dedicating his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor to the struggle. These were not idle words. He helped Benjamin Franklin bring the French into the war on the American side, and he arranged critical loans from Dutch banks. When the war ended, it was Adams, along with Franklin and John Jay, who negotiated the treaty in which England officially recognized the new United States. As one delegate to the Continental Congress said, the man to whom the country is most indebted for the great measure of independence is Mr. John Adams. Abigail Adams died in 1818, but John Adams lived long enough to see his son, John Quincy Adams, become America's sixth president in 1824. By that point, the elder John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were among the last living signers of the Declaration of Independence. On July 4, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the 90-year-old John Adams uttered his last words, which were, Thomas Jefferson still survives. Adams died later that day. What he did not know was that earlier that morning, Thomas Jefferson, too, had passed away. Examining the issues that pertain to the people of God, this is the matter at hand. From in and around the Capital Region, on the Alive Radio Network, I'm Alicia Purdy.